If you're using the Bible and the pew rack in front of you that looks like this, you can find that on page 856. Page 856. The conviction we have at this church is that when the Word of God is read, we're hearing God's voice. And so one of the things we do before the sermon is preached, we actually stand for that reading of Scripture. I don't make you stand for the sermon, not just because that would be exhausting, but also because it's the Scripture being read that's the Word of God, and anything I'm saying is just trying to serve that. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke 1, verses 67 to 79. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. You can be seated as we pray. Father, we right now collectively quiet our hearts before you we ask that your Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that filled Zechariah before he sang these words, would be filling this room in a unique way, that your word would be heard, that your joy would be felt, and that your work would be done. In Christ's name, amen. This morning... I want to give you two reasons to sing the joy of Christmas. The first reason that we sing the joy of Christmas is because we are saved from our enemies. We see that in the song before us in verses 68 to 75. We are saved from our enemies. In this first stanza, 68 to 75, God is blessed right at the outset, and He's blessed because He's visited and redeemed us, and because He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. But when we hear words like redeemed and salvation, We've been around the church much. 
we tend to think about salvation from our sins. But when Zechariah sang the song, that's not what he had in mind. Look at verse 71. That we should be saved from our enemies. And then he adds, and from the hand of all who hate us. And just in case that point isn't clear enough, verse 74, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. You see, Zechariah's first reason to sing, to sing the joy of Christmas, is that God's people have been saved from their enemies. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a second. Hold on. I thought Christians didn't have enemies. Well, that's actually not precisely true. The Bible never says that. Instead, it says that we're to love our enemies. It says that we're to pray for them. It says we're supposed to turn the other cheek and bless them. But even as we do that, there is something in our hearts that's longing for the redemption, longing for the salvation, longing for the salvation. Anyone who has had even limited exposure to the fallenness of this world knows what it's like to have enemies. People who have deliberately done us harm People have used us instead of valued us. Maybe people have caused you depths of pain that you didn't know you could feel. Could have been a coworker, a boss, a family member, a spouse, or maybe even a stranger that just did something terrible. We have enemies. And those enemies cause us to long. To long. When that will be done and gone. To be rescued. Saved from that. But enemies goes beyond just that. It also encompasses biblically anyone who stubbornly rejects God's right and good rule. God is the rightful king of this world. And anyone who rejects that, according to the Bible, is an enemy. Now that might sound too broad. But here's the deal. It is the rejection of God that has caused this world generally to be the hurting and broken and torn place that it is. And so if you're not for God's kingdom and aligned with that and following that, you're against it and you are actually part of the problem. So when we speak of being saved from our enemies, we might think of very specific people, but we can also think of being saved from the foul world and all who align themselves with it. That's why you might have noticed when Zechariah talks about being saved from his enemies, what's the purpose of that? That we might serve him without, with, without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. In other words, that God would have his good and perfect kingdom because nobody is trying to thwart that. We are all a people who are trying to follow him. So regardless of whether the enemies you think of are specific people 
or just the general deliverance from this broken world that comes as a result of humanity and rebellion against God. We can sing this stanza of Zechariah's song. We can sing this Christmas because God saves us from our enemies. You see, Jesus' birth commenced God's rescue plan. And His rescue plan didn't just involve dealing with our sin. God's heart is grieved by all the oppression and injustice that resulted from mankind's rejection of Him. And His salvation ultimately will mean that all oppression and all evil will cease. The book of Revelation spells that out real clearly for us. It begins with a picture of a scroll. There's this scroll that is the, is the scroll that describes how God is going to bring His ultimate victory. But it's sealed up. And they're going, who's, going to be, who's, who's worthy to open the scroll? And there's only one who's worthy to open the scroll. And it's a lamb. A lamb who's been slain, which is pointing back to Jesus in his humanity, what he did when he came to earth and lived his life and died on the cross. On the basis of that, Jesus is able to open the seals of the scroll. And as the scroll unfolds, you hear of God coming back to this earth, Jesus returning in power and bringing literal deliverance upon this earth for his people as those who reject him are brought to judgment and ultimately thrown into a lake of fire so that God can establish a perfect, whole kingdom for all who have dressed themselves in the white robes that Christ provides. You see, the picture of Revelation is saying, this broken, foul world that you're living in, yes, as you love your enemies, yes, as you do good to those who persecute you and pray for them, yes, as you hold on to hope, this world that's broken is going to be fixed by Jesus and because of what Jesus did. And so when we sing the good news of Christmas, we're singing because of all the brokenness that we feel and all the enemies and oppression we feel will be done away with as God brings us and rescues us from that to establish as a people for himself who are zealous for good works. This foul, rebellious, broken world of ours, including the people who have made it so foul and onerous, will be defeated. Thank God that rebellion in his grace doesn't have the last word. Christ is victorious. In the oppression you feel when you think about that specific enemy, in the oppression you feel just being part of the fabric of a world that is broken and torn, Christ has entered in and done something, and He is going to bring the victory That's reason number one to sing. Sing because the pain and sadness that marks this mess of a world will be conquered. We will be saved from our enemies. 
one of the things we love in this church is that we regularly have people who are here who just want to learn more about Christianity. They're not Christians. Or they maybe know a friend, and so they're coming with them. So we're glad you're here. You're always welcome. That's one of the things we, uh, we try and cultivate here. You might be thinking, though, as you hear that, okay, that's nice, James. Fancy rhetoric. Clever religious tricks to make us feel better about the brokenness that we're in. Thanks for that whiff of opium that dulls the pain. I want to believe it, but can it really be trusted? Can it really be trusted? Yes, it can. And God wanted us to know without a shadow of a doubt that it can. So here's what He did for your sake and mine. Hundreds and thousands of years before He commenced His rescue plan, He announced exactly how it would go. So the Old Testament tells the story of a beautiful and good world that God made where there was no brokenness. And then it tells about mankind rejecting God, turning His back on Him and saying, I like my rule better than your rule. And the, and the junk that ensued, the poison that spread around the world as a result. But God comes along in Genesis 12 and makes a promise, a covenant, an oath to a man named Abraham. And He says to Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. And then he says, In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In other words, I'm going to, instead of the curse that's resulted because of your rebellion, I am going to bring a blessing. And it's not just for you, Abraham, and your descendants. It's for all the families of the earth. And then, just a little bit later in Genesis 17, he tells, he makes the same promise and he reiterates it, but he tells him, from you, kings will come. So you start thinking, okay, a nation's going to come. There's going to be a king. Maybe this is a clue of how God's going to bring about that rescue plan. And then in Genesis 49, one of uh, Abraham is the son Isaac and then Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons. And one of them is Judah. And he tells Judah, the scepter won't depart from your line until it comes to whom it belongs. And then it stops. The scepter is going to travel through the line of Judah until it comes to somebody. And so you're reading along in the scriptures and you're seeing what a mess the world is and even what a mess the people who've descended from Abraham are. Everything's a mess, but you're going, when will the one come? When will the one come to the scepter whom the scepter belongs? And finally Israel says, we want a king! But the way they want it is not like God's king. They want a worldly king, a king like all the other nations. So God says, all right, here's Saul. And you're like, okay, maybe Saul's the guy. And at first, Saul seems like he's doing a pretty good job. But very quickly, you realize this is a mess of a king. But in the shadows, as you see Saul's life degrading before you, there's this man named David who's got this pure heart after God. He's not like the other guys. He really trusts his God. Famous story of David and Goliath before David was king. And you start going, maybe this is the guy. This is the guy the scepter will come to. Him, come to. He's descended from the line of Judah. And sure enough, David is anointed to be the king. And sure enough, David eventually becomes king. 
And sure enough, he unites Israel and he's able to defeat Israel's enemies. And you're going, now the nation is established. Now those who bless them are blessed and those who curse are cursed. Now through him, other nations are being blessed. This is it. And there's a beauty in the taste. You find it good. But then Saul, let, but then David lets you down too. But before he does, God comes to him. And he tells him, he makes a covenant, he makes an oath to him. And he says, one of your sons will sit on your throne and reign eternally as my son. So you're going, okay, David's not the rescuer, but there's one like David that's coming. So you're waiting. David lets you down, and you're waiting. Israel's situation gets worse and worse, and you're waiting. And then the prophets come along. And Isaiah says this in chapter 9. For to us, speaking of a future day of salvation, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor. This is telling you what kind of kingdom he'll bring. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You see that on the throne of David, someone's coming from David. The prophets are saying it's going to happen. Jeremiah, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Ezekiel, in chapter 34, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. He's saying this well after David. And he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. I could go on and on and on about all the clues that God gives along the way of what he's, wanting, what he's going to do. But the point is God wanted you and me to be able to trust that he really would bring victory, that this was not some pipe dream, that it actual, actually is reality, that he would bring an end to oppression, that evil would not have the final say. And so he wrote down his salvation plan before he commenced it. So then when it happens, you know it was God who did it, because only God can say, this is exactly how it's going to go, and then bring that about. Now that's why when Zechariah sings this first stanza about being saved from his enemies, the stanza reads a little bit more like a celebration of, God, of how God has kept his promises. Listen to it as I read it. Verse 68 to 75. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. 
that we should be saved from enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear and holiness and righteousness before Him in all our days. See, long, long before Christ came, God said He would deal with our broken world. Long before Christ came, God said He would save His people from their enemies. He said it with an oath to Abraham. He said it with an oath to David. And He said it through the mouth of the prophets over and over again. Before Jesus came to save us, God foretold how He would save us. And that, that, I hope, can give us confidence, can give us comfort that this isn't some man-made, contrived elixir meant to trick us into thinking everything is okay. Zechariah thinks on all the promises of God, and so he sings, Blessed be the God of Israel who has saved us from our enemies. The toxic oppression of this world that even today threatens to choke you out. It doesn't have the last word. We just sang a little bit earlier, in His name, all oppression shall cease. That's reason number one to sing this Christmas. But there's a problem. There's a problem. If God's going to rebel, or if God's going to judge those who've rebelled against Him, well, I deserve the judgment too. The same toxic rebellion that's out there lurks in here. See, in some way, we're all haters. In some way, we're all oppressors. In some way, we're all unjust. The Bible says that we are all enemies of God. Because we've rejected His rule. I don't know about you, but in some ways I do that every day. Not, not like, hey, I'm going to intentionally do this, but I know what God wants and I'm going to do it my way. And that leads us to the second reason we sing. The second reason to sing is that the sunrise has pierced our darkness. The sunrise has pierced our darkness. Look at verses 76 to 79. That's the second stanza. Now, just, if the first stanza, the kind of the form of it is written as a blessing to God, this stanza is written as a prophecy about John the Baptist. It would probably be a good time to tell you who wrote this song and why he was singing it. Zechariah, I've already mentioned, but he was a priest, and he and his wife had gotten really old. Well past the time when you could have children and they didn't have any children. And it was a cause of great heartache for them. And Zechariah goes into a temple. He's chosen to be the one to go in that day 
to uh, the inner area of the temple and present some offerings. And while he's there, Gabriel, the angel, shows up. And Gabriel says, you're going to have a son. As God's stepping into history. And at first, Zechariah doesn't believe it, even though an angel's saying it. He's like, okay, yeah, what's the proof? And the angel says, the proof is you're not going to talk. You're done. You won't be able to speak until the child's born. And from that point on, Zechariah can't speak. But Elizabeth does become pregnant. Pregnant not with Jesus, but with John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner for Jesus, the prophet to announce him. I don't know how long it took him to get pregnant. It probably wasn't too long. But I know how long pregnancies are. So you can imagine not being able to talk for, what, 10, 11, 12 months, something like this? What's going on in Zechariah's mind that whole time? He has all this time when you can't speak to think. And to think about what God's doing. And to think about all his knowledge of what God had said he was going to do. And a song is bubbling up within him. He wants to burst out, but he can't speak. And then Elizabeth gives birth. And they say, what are you going to name him? And they say, John. He says, John, because that's what Gabriel had said to name him. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. No family members are named John. We don't know anyone close to you named John. Let's go ask Zechariah. Those are the good old days. Just kidding. <laughs> so Zechariah has to get a a paper and write down his name is John and the moment he writes it down his ability to speak is returned and verse 64 tells us the first thing that happened after he could speak is that he blessed God so our song is probably the very first thing he said after whatever long however long it was a year of silence It says the Holy Spirit filled him as he prophesied this song. This is God's song given to him. And now he's blessed God, and now he turns to speak about his son, John the Baptist. Okay, so that was just explaining behind the story. Where was I? So the stanza, this stanza, is about John the Baptist, Zechariah's son. But it's the purpose of John the Baptist... It's what, it's what Zechariah says is John the Baptist's purpose that should stir our hearts to sing. So listen as I read the second stanza again. Verse 76. And you, child, we called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. You see his purpose? We who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, he's giving us light. 
We who are rife with conflict and strife, He's guiding our feet to peace. Because of the tender mercies of God, the sunrise from on high shall visit us. This is good news. God's Son has shone into our darkness. But how has He done that? That's a very powerful picture. But how has He done that? And verse 77 is the key to understanding that. Verse 77, as you're reading along, actually comes as a massive surprise. Because up until this point... This song has been all about political and military deliverance. Remember the first stanza. We're going to be delivered from our enemies. Hurrah! And now the prophet of the Most High is coming. And what will his job be? Will it be to encourage his people that victory is near? Will it be to go and tell the enemies to prepare for battle? No! Verse 77 comes as a surprise. His job is to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of sins. That means He's dealing with the darkness in here. The shadow of death in here. That's what's being dealt with ultimately by Jesus. You see, God's rescue comes in two stages. The first stage was for the sun to shine on our hearts. Jesus would come and rescue us from our sins by dying on the cross in our place and dealing with the consequences of our rebellion. And that would enable the second stage when Jesus will return and rescue those who've trusted him by delivering us from our enemies. So you remember in Revelation, why is Jesus able to open the seals? It's because of he was a lamb that was slain. The first stage, the sunrise from on high that shines into our darkness enables the second stage where he can actually rescue his people. But if the sun doesn't first shine its light into our hearts, we're just as guilty as everyone else. I'm one of the enemies, not one of God's people. And oh, the darkness inside of me. Oh, the death at work within me. You feel it. I know you do. Maybe you try and suppress it. But I know you do. And perhaps this time of year more than the others, you feel the darkness inside you. So do I. I'm deep dark. And I need sunlight. I desperately need it. So do you. I don't know what weighs you down. It could be the oppressors out there. It could be the darkness in here. But anyone who lives in this broken world is feeling one or both of those things. 
for those of us who are feeling, who feel the darkness in here, good news. There's good news for all of us. Christmas has come. The sunrise from on high has visited us. Your crud, your filth, your rebellion, your haughtiness, your pettiness is dealt with by God on the cross. Forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. What a reason to sing. So sing this Christmas. Sing because in Christ we're saved from our enemies. And sing because in Christ we're forgiven from our sins. The sunrise has pierced our darkness. Now before we leave this morning, I've got to show you Malachi 4. Because the prophet Malachi actually brings these two themes together in a really profound way. Now remember, Malachi is prophesying hundreds of years before Jesus would come. But listen to what he says. Look at Malachi 4, page 802. If you're using a few Bibles, it's 802. If you're on your Bible app, it's Malachi 4. Listen to verses 1 through 3. For behold, the day is coming burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming, the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says Yahweh of hosts so that will leave them neither root nor branch. But as for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act. Says Yahweh of hosts. Enemies defeated? Check. Sun rising? Check. But did you notice how that sun is described? He's the sun of righteousness with healing in his wings. And those two things go together, him being righteous and him bringing healing. In other words, he's going to heal our unrighteousness because of his righteousness. So everybody's a rebel. But for for those who fear the Lord and say, I'm going to trust then the Son of Righteousness comes and He cleanses us, He heals us. And we get to leap about like calves who've been released from the stall. Leap for joy. So sing. Let your soul sing. Join Zechariah in his song. We will be saved from our enemies and our sins are forgiven.
because of this baby born son of David, son of Abraham. Let's pray. Father, every heart in this room is in a different place and you know each heart and you know where we are slow to sing, why we are weighed down. But I pray that the good news of Christmas would shine light into each of our souls and cause us to leap like calves as we sing for joy of this baby born who would ultimately be the sunrise from on high, who would die for our sins and will come back again. In Christ's name. Amen.